Hi, everyone. This is Arzo with Sexy Boss Babe for podcast number 10. Today's podcast is about foster care. And joining me today is a female author uh, who wrote a book about her experiences that led her into foster care uh, and what she went through. Her book is called Foster Girl, a Memoir. And please welcome uh, Miss Georgette Todd. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you. So, um, Obviously, I've read your book, and I met you at a mutual person that we know's um, event, and Georgette talked about her book at this event, and it was available for everybody. She signed it, and I took a copy, and she told us that her book is kind of a very raw story, and the way she described it, um, I was, I'm, I'm actually really sensitive. I Sometimes I try to, you know, play like I'm tough, but <laughs> I'm really sensitive. <laughs> I was scared to read the book because, you know, I just, anything that has to do with like any atrocities that happen to children, it just destroys me. So I knew I was going to open up a book that's going to talk about that. So I was really scared at first and I didn't read it for a while. And I finally, one day something just kind of nudged me to pick it up and read it. And I started reading it. I couldn't put it down. And I was just in utter shock over what you had gone through um, in your life that led you into foster care. And the fact that you had the strength and courage to put those stories into a book. Um, so you always, to this day, just absolutely amaze me. So um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners kind of know, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, just the overview of what the book is? Sure. About? So I actually, um, it took me over 10 years to write. It's not an easy story to tell, but I felt compelled to tell it because I'm an avid reader myself and I wasn't seeing my story represented anywhere. And I knew, you know, I was not the only person going through this, you know, because I was growing up in foster care and I was surrounded by, you know, people with stories like mine. And um, so that was one of the reasons why I felt I had to write it. And I'm so glad I did. But so what I go over in the book is, um, well, I originally um, started out writing like my entry into foster care, like I'm in this the back of a um, a police car and my first stop is at juvenile hall even though I didn't do anything I didn't commit any crime but that was how I entered foster care was that was the way I entered it and um and then I ended the book with you know uh me going off to college you know so I was in transport in a cop car entering it and then at the end of the book I'm in a plane flying off to a new life and so and in between that, I really walk you through um, what it's like to be a foster kid. Now, when I took it to a professional editor, and we worked on it for years, he is like, wait a minute, what happened to you before foster care? And we got to know about you after foster care. And I was like, no, 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 that's way too much. <laughs> and so, but he did convince me, he's like, just put in a few chapters. So in the opening of the book, um, the first few chapters really... I highlight the events that I felt led me into foster care. You know, the story of my mother, she was shot in the head. That's what I open it up with because I really feel like um, that moment, like when she was shot, um, she was shot in the head because of her boyfriend and um, he was involved with drugs and then, but she survived. So my mother survived. So that's the opening of the book. It's with a bang. And uh, 
let me tell you, it is such a bang. It's just, it's so shocking. Like, I did not expect that. I mean, I, like, literally, it was like every single page that you read, you're just in shock. And then, like, it doesn't get better. Yeah. It's just one big experience after another or traumatizing or life changing. And it's like, oh my God, does this kid ever get yeah. a break? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so then, uh, you know, from there and then, you know, cause when I walked with, through the story with my editor, he's like, what were the, he's like, Hi, you don't have to tell your whole life story before foster care because I didn't enter it until I was 14. He's like, just highlight what were the events. So that was one event. And another was her, again, I really tied it to the men she chose to be in her life. Cause I really felt like it was the men that, um, you know, contributed to my, the demise of our family. First, it was my father who left us. Okay. That's one guy. And then this guy that she hooked up with, uh, led to her being shot in the head, but he died. She survived. And then she, the next chapter is she's marrying some guy, a biker named mad dog. Um, that was his nickname, but I just chose to stick with that. Um, and, uh, he had a misspelled tattoo and everything. And he just like took us away from San Diego, which is where I'm from. And, um, and just took us away from our family, my grandfather, my aunts and uncles, everybody I grew up with. And, you know, he isolated my mother and me and my sister and we bounced around and then, uh, ended up settling in this community um, in the Salton Sea Beach, which is for people who don't know, it's like about 45 miles south of uh, Palm Springs. So it's in the middle of nowhere. And it mm-hmm. was there where drugs again came into our life. And then things got really crazy. And um, so I summarized and again highlighted the actual details of, you know, drugs coming into our life. And then I overdosed. Uh, yeah. And I just want to. I just want to, you know, obviously a lot of these details are mm-hmm. going to be in the book, but um, you were a teenager when you were, or, or not even a teenager, you were about 11 or 12 years old when you guys made that move into, uh, over to Palm Springs. No, no, no. Right? No, into Salt Sea Beach. I wish Palm Springs. Sorry, yeah. Palm, <laughs> yeah. Palm, <laughs> okay. okay. Salt Sea Beach. Right. Sorry about that. And, um, and you said that you, you know, there was drugs and you got introduced to drugs. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's important to share with our listeners. Um, and again, this is further detailed in the book, but. Um, your stepfather was the one that introduced you to drugs, correct? Right. So um, I actually go more into depth into my second book, which is called Cocor, a memoir. We can talk about that later. But in this book, Foster Girl, again, I just had to, you know, touch on it briefly. You know, it's like I devoted like half a chapter to it. Whereas my next book, it's all about that time period. But mm-hmm. um yeah, so he, you know, drugs were in our life. And actually, it wasn't as shocking because I knew my mother was always a party girl. I mean, she had me when she was very young. She was 16 years old when she had me. So mm-hmm. um, I was 13 when I started to do drugs. Now, listeners are like, well, why did you do drugs at that time? So it was a Kate Moss era, you know, uh, and I, my mother was super thin. And so was my sister. So the women around me were really, really thin. And I was starting to develop as a woman and I was getting curves everywhere and I didn't like it. Um, I wanted to look like my mother, of course. And um, drugs was actually (laughs) pretty prevalent in our isolated community, which is, I find, um, is pretty common. So it was around me. It was at school, you know, so it wasn't like so shocking. 
when it was introduced to me, except I always expected it to be introduced to me through a peer, not my parents, you know, but um, I was always complaining about my weight and my stepfather said, well, you know, I know a way you can lose weight and never be hungry. I'm like, sign me up. What is it? And he's like, well, I'm just going to, you know, put some cocaine in some water and, um, you know, just make this like concoction and you'll just like lose weight. Now, again, um, I, that's just yeah, crazy. It is that's crazy. Just, like, crazy. And that I go like a stepdad, mm-hmm. a parent that is supposed to protect you is, you know, offering to well he was a he was a predator i mean he all the signs were there you know um you isolate you know the from the family which is what he did he you know i wasn't Mm -hmm. surrounded if my uncles were in the picture they'd beat him up you know and so was my uh grandfather especially but um yeah he we were all solely dependent on him in the middle of nowhere and this was my normal you know so Mm -hmm. yeah wow um so anyway, I'll just uh, to uh, answer your early question. So mm-hmm. after that, um, I overdosed because, uh, you know, after I was taking once I was hooked on drugs, that's when he sexually abused me. And um, and then I took more drugs to at that point, I was thin, but I was to self-medicate and I was addicted. And I took so much that I overdosed. And that's when the authorities got involved and my stepfather was arrested. And then shortly after my mother died. And um, her father, my grandfather, who I was close with, um, he took care of us and he never committed a crime, solid guy, loved him to death. But when he discovered all this drugs in the house, um, he was like, "Uh, I'll smoke a little grass here and there, but this stuff is way too much. And so he was like, I need to get rid of this. And he should have just called the cops, but he listened to my stepfather who was in jail. He's like, I know a guy who'll just take it off your hands. That guy turned out to be an undercover DEA agent. And so, um, you know, it was like uh, the deal went down and it was like an episode of cops. You know, they arrested my grandfather and that's when my sister and I entered foster care. That is incredibly, incredibly intense. And um, and there's even more things that obviously, uh, you know, Georgia didn't share that I know about, but that's in the book. Um, and it's, again, like I said, it's just, it's just shock, shocking. This is just the stuff she touched on is like the tip of the iceberg. Right. It's one little tiny layer. And um, it's, it's truly um, it, it just, I, I can't think of another word. I'm almost speechless, you know, other than shocking that to, to know what things happen to, to kids here in America. And we always talk about things that happen in, in third world countries and, you know, things like that. But there's a whole epidemic of what's going on in, in families here in America and what leads kids into getting into the foster care system. And so um, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience in foster care, Georgette, um, because I really want the listeners to know, you know, obviously, you know, this podcast is Sexy Boss Babe. I have um, a, a brand of, of, of nails um, that I'm, I'm using our platform as, as a, as a place to raise awareness about the plight of foster youth. And we donate a portion of our proceeds to charities that support uh, foster youth and survivors of human trafficking. And there's, I'm very purposeful about this specific cause. And I'm very purposeful of having you on here to really talk about why this cause is important. And unless people hear people like you firsthand uh, that have gone through this, um, someone that, you know, you and I both grew up in San Diego 
And for me, it's, it's, it's so, it's just, it's almost a nostalgic feeling to know that, gosh, you know, I was going to junior high or I was going to elementary school and, you know, Georgette, you were down the street. I know. I was only like two, three miles away from you. You and I grew up in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and we didn't know each other then, but you know, now that we do, and we talk about our stories and growing up and upbringing and we learn that it's just shocking. It's like, here, I'm living my little life and this poor, you know, girl is going through hell, little hell. She doesn't deserve it. And she's going through it. So what, what was your experience in foster care like? Um, so I'm going to date myself here. Oh, well, I already did earlier with the Kate Moss era, but it was in the, well, well, well if you date yourself, you're going to date. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, so I entered foster care in like uh, the early mid 1990s and I was 14 when I entered foster care. And, um, so at that time, the internet was in its infancy. There was no social media. So the only way I can get information about anything is um, either through movies, books, magazines, radio, or, you know, um, you know, television, or people around me. And not one area was the word foster care. Did I ever hear that word? I just never heard it, you know, ever uttered. The only time I heard the word foster uttered was Jodie Foster won an Academy Award for, you know, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, that, which was a great movie, by the way. But uh, <laughs> um, that was the only time I heard. So I didn't know anything about foster care. And I was like your typical self-involved teenager. I never even thought, like, beyond my own life and problems. And so I just didn't think about what happens to kids who are orphans. I just didn't even think about it. And so when I became one, I was like, I had no idea what to expect. And I really write from that perspective. So a lot of memoirs are written like reflective and making sense of it. No, I rewind time and press play. I relive my experiences. And it's like you are the reader. You're like my guardian angel overseeing everything. And I chose to write it that way because I really wanted the reader to experience foster care the way I experienced it. And so I went in, fish out of water, you know, just like, what what is foster care what's a social worker is it a worker being social like I was really that literal and you know there's all these people with badges you know asking me all these personal questions you know and I was in these facilities so I entered foster care like I said earlier um in the back of a police car and we went to juvenile hall and the and I asked the cop I'm like why are we going here you know and he said oh I need to pick up paperwork that was the only reason so we went through a series of gates and we went into the juvenile hall facility just to pick up paperwork. I was thinking, why couldn't they just fax it or, you know, so that was my introduction. And then we drove across the parking lot into what they call a receiving home, which is like a modern day orphanage, but it's really just a temporary emergency shelter for homeless kids like myself. And usually there's like a 30 day holding, you know, kids will be there for 30 days and it's up to your social worker, the person who's responsible in finding you a home, a safe, uh, healthy home. And um, we just had to stay there. And this was like right before Christmas, by the way. Um, and we just had to stay there until a home was found for us. And from there, they, I, I, you know, honestly, I thought, well, I have relatives 
this is just weird. We're just going to be here for a few days, but one of our relatives will bound to get us. And this will be just a weird story. Like, oh, I was in foster care. I was an orphan for like a week. And that was that. That's what I really thought would happen. Well, that's not what happened. Um, as you'll see in the book, <laughs> I went from home to home to home for years. And usually when I tell people that, they think, oh, my God, what'd you do? Because usually think, they think the child just acted up and just was so out of control that that's why they entered foster care. That's why they moved around a lot. You'll see through my story that's actually not the case. It doesn't really matter how the child behaves. Yeah, sometimes that's the reason for remo removal or bouncing around. But there are all so many variables that are beyond a child's control why they move around a lot. Um, for example, in my case, uh, my first foster mother, her brother, husband, and father died within two months, and she had a breakdown. And, you know, and um, another time was I was placed in a home, and I wasn't Christian. I wasn't anything, Arzo. I was just, like, not focused on the spiritual world. I was, like, mm -hmm. so consumed with what was in front of me. I wasn't thinking beyond mm -hmm. anything. I wasn't, like, a devil worshiper either. I just wasn't anything. But because right. I wasn't Christian, they kicked us out, you know, after a few days. Um, one mm -hmm. other, yeah. So oh. anyway, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just, it, that's, it's just horrible. It's just, you have these young girls who, um, who went through one trauma yeah. after another, one trauma after another. And I mean, we're talking the death of a parent. We're talking sexual abuse. We're talking um, a parent that is still instilling drug abuse uh, habits into which a child. We're talking grandfather going into jail. We're talking, you know, getting picked up and taken to foster care into an institution in a setting in the back of a police car. And these are young girls, young girls between age. How, how old was she? She was 12. And it happens to this day. I mean, well, to this day, it still happens. Yeah. And it ha it's mm -hmm. still happening and, and the system's still the same way. And now you're getting bounced from home to home, not with your relatives, with people that right. don't know you, that you don't have right. a bond with. And the first lady that you said, you know, she, her brother died and her, uh, his, uh, I'm sorry. Brother, um, husband and father her, died. Yeah. Brother, husband, father died. All these people dying. Those are traumas that that individual person is experiencing. And now you put in these two young girls into this home and they're experiencing that, you know, secondary mm -hmm. trauma through that situation. And then they go into another home. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All before the age of right, like 15, right? right? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. That is crazy. Those years for a child, I mean, all those years, you know, those are formative time periods. It's those are the times when you're growing and you're getting your period and you're just getting boobs for a girl and you're, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about boys maybe and, you know, trying to figure those things out. Just going through regular teenage stuff. I mean, think about all the, you know, regular teenage stuff that we all went through. And not only are you going through that and you have to deal with that and there's no one there to explain right. those things to you. On top of that, you just have one trauma after another after another. And again, now you're in, in foster care. And like you said, it's just, this yeah. is normal. It's going well, on all you, the time. you can't be normal. Like, you know, you can't be a kid. You cannot be a teenager because in addition to all, me going through all that, I was under the system's care. I was under big brother's watch. So they had to write reports. They had to track my care. Am I being mouthy? Am I being disobedient? So you know how like you're in a family and you argue, whatever, it, no one's there transcribing what you're, what's happening in the house, but in foster care, that's exactly what's happening. So I felt like I couldn't even have a rebellious stage because it would have been used against me, you know? So I had to behave. I had to like hold everything in and boy, did I, you know, 
And I just, I, mm-hmm. I felt like I had to be perfect. I even have that to this day, Arzo. I mean, as you know, I, I feel like, yeah. I feel like, oh, I'm speaking too much or, oh, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm emailing too long. You know what I mean? Like I have that, like I have to right. constantly like try to rein myself in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't leave mm-hmm. you. No, absolutely. Um. So, okay. So what I want to also talk a little bit about is um, just the, the foster care system from your perspective the way that the system is um, with regards to, I know that foster families get a stipend from the government to take in kids mm-hmm. in foster care. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And then after that, um, I want to talk a little bit about like social workers and their importance. And okay. Um, so, I mean, the system side of it, I mean, yes. Uh, so there is a stipend, although every time I heard, you know, about money, it was never enough which, so I don't know exactly how much, um, but yeah, that's how it works. And there's actually a thing called kinship care where they pay relatives uh, to take care of the child. And, um, you know, that's that side of it. So are you asking like what, yeah. Just kind of, you know, what what are some of the, like one of the things we're, we're going to talk about this later, but I'll Mm -hmm. just bring this up now. So, um, uh, I have a small production company called QH Productions and um, I did a documentary about, it's called Breaking the Cycle and it's about what uh, youths face in the foster care system through transitioning out. And Georgia is one of the main um, uh, people in the documentary that, that we uh, ask questions to and she really goes in depth and shares her, her story. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was some of the problems that currently exist in the foster care system. And one of those is the, the vetting of the parents and the fact that many parents do it for the government. Right. You know, I, I feel um, sorry for the system. I know that sounds strange coming from me, but I mean, it was originally set up to be a temporary space where they take kids out of abusive homes and place them into safe, permanent homes that that's the goal but too often these kids languish in foster care year after year like I did and so I think what one of the solutions to that is there really needs to be an upfront effort in trying to find families now how do you do that well I'm part of an organization called connectourkids.org and what we're trying to do there is we're it's a nonprofit that's solely devoted to updating the current technology, you know, with all the internet algorithms and stuff. We want to create a software that will make it easier for social workers to uh, find families quickly. Now, in my case, um, what the social worker did back in the caveman days (laughs) is, uh, you know, um, and again, the internet was in its infancy, like I said earlier, but, um, she just went through word of mouth, which is actually what a lot of social workers do today. So whoever's taking care of the child, you know, if they, that person gets incarcerated, the social worker is going to interview that, you know, guardian and say, hey, you know, do you know anybody we can place these kids with? And so in my case, that's what the social worker did with my grandfather when he was in jail. And he gave a list of names to the social worker. Um. And if the kid's old enough, the social worker will interview you as well. And that's what she did with us. So basically, she'll collect all these names and numbers and try to find a home for us with a relative. 
what connect our kids, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make that process a lot quicker, a lot more um, efficient and effective by like, say the social worker would input that data and then more names will pop up, you know, so as opposed to a social worker going out in the field and asking all these questions. Um, I don't know how the algorithm will work. We're still developing that tool. But uh, and then we're also planning to pilot the program in California, uh, and I would oversee one of those pilots. So right now, uh, if people want to find out more about this, uh, this tool, and which I really feel will help kids in foster care, go to connectourkids.org. Again, it's www.connectourkids.org. I'll explain more about the technology, and there's even a little three-minute video that will really more succinctly than I've been able to really walk you through what we're trying to do. And we're trying to raise $160,000 by January 1st. But so I feel like that family finding tool, just updating that software, you know, is critical um, to, you know, putting foster care out of business. If social workers had a way to find a lot more families quickly, you know, which is what they want, then I really do feel that that would make a significant impact. And, and we, we touched on that in the documentary, too. And um, I didn't realize that they only needed to raise, and I say only, it's a yeah. big number, but 160000 And I remember when we talked um, with them before, they were trying to raise a million. We're, still, yeah, so we've raised, so we, they've done a really great job raising money. We're also up for a grant. Hopefully we get it. But this is for the next phase to actually, we need to create um, raise 160000 by January 1st to complete the development of our family connections tool. Then obviously there's okay. another phase like piloting it, but mm-hmm. to at least create the tool, that's what we need by January okay, 1st. Excellent. But yeah, no, they've been that's doing okay. a great job raising money, but yeah, we need a little more to get us to the next level. Absolutely. And I, and I just, their, uh, so sorry, what's their, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I just want to add that um, why I joined this because I really believe in it, but I also know it can work because I actually found after I left foster care relatives through the internet. I found a half aunt I even know about living in Hawaii through ancestry.com. I found relatives in Florida and Georgia um, and Alabama through Facebook. And these relatives told me or though that they said, if we had known you were in foster care, we would have taken you in. So I could have been, you know, raised by family in Hawaii versus bouncing around in foster care, you know, and uh, if only this, this uh, tool was created back then. So totally. Yeah. It's so important. And I just wanted to, um, I don't remember what their social media handle is. Do you know what it is? I connect our kids, connect yeah. our kids. But if okay. you go to connect the website that has all the information, mm-hmm. connectourkids.org. Okay, great. Excellent. Okay, great. And then another thing that I wanted to um, touch on too, and you just you know mentioned like social workers, um, just the caseload oh, yeah. and what the job of a social worker is, what's a manageable caseload, um, and what's currently going on because they are overworked. Yeah. So um, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So I actually worked in social services for a few years and I was able to, I wasn't a social worker, but I was able to, like I shared cubicle space with them and I was able to see what they went through. And I never saw a social worker like chill out. (laughs) They were constantly go, 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 even after hours. I mean, there's like burnout is very real within, with social workers. And, um, I was a youth board coordinator and I oversaw 10 youth and that like 
drove me nuts. Like uh, it was just, and that was just only 10. So I can, and social workers, that would be a dream if they only had 10, they usually have at least 20. And, uh, AB, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard too, that they have upward of, of like 90. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. So yeah. Um, and AB 12, which is, um, a law now that came into effect January 1st, 2012 would extend foster care services up to age 21, which is great, but I never heard the language of, Hey, we're going to add more social workers. So not only are their kids going to stay longer on their caseloads, but you know, and more kids are coming in. So it just, it's adding more work for them. And I, I just have never seen or heard if there was money put in place to hire more social workers to handle the extension of foster care. Great. But I've yet to hear that. So there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many visits you can do. And um, I do, I, I, Never thought I'd say this. The foster girl in me would never say this, but I, I definitely feel for social workers. There's only so much they can do in a day. There's yeah. only so much. Um, and so the whole system really needs, needs a, a facelift um, and, a, and mm-hmm. a revamp. Um, the family reunification is really important. That needs some focus and some additional support for right. social workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about some statistics and facts about okay. foster care. Um, there's, 500,000 kids in foster care in the United States today. Um, and my numbers might be a little bit off. Um, I, I looked it up recently, but 50,000 kids in California oh, are in foster care. I have those numbers. <laughs> yeah. okay. Then it's better. Than okay. Uh, so yeah, no, nationally, you're right. There's nationally, there's about half a million kids in the foster care system. And of that half a million, California has 55,000 foster kids, which is the most out of any state. And almost half of those 55,000 foster kids, um, about 20,000 of them live in L.A. County alone. So Los Angeles has more foster kids than any other county in the U.S. And these numbers are verifiable on the childwelfare.gov website, adoptuskids.org. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. And so... um, a lot of times when these kids go through foster care, they age out of the system. They don't have a lot of support no. and they end up on the streets, right? right? Like uh, 20% of them instantly become homeless. That's according to the National Foster Youth Institute. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's a huge, huge. Per- that's a huge percentage. And also, um, you know, one of the things, again, that we link uh, our, our brand uh, is to support foster youth and survivors of human trafficking. And sometimes people say, well, why? Why human trafficking? Or why can't you just pick one? And the reason why is because they're almost one. Yeah, the there's same. crossover. Uh, crossover. And if you can touch on that. Um, ooh, uh, I don't have the stats on the human trafficking. Um but I mean, just think about it. These kids are by themselves, you know, who's watching them, mm-hmm. you know, they're out in the, you know, if a kid is prostituting, you know, who's watching that kid, who's overseeing that child, they're obviously a mm-hmm. runaway or their, their pimp is their caretaker, you know, and so they're not, and they are trying to avoid foster care. So they're just not, but then when the authorities pick these uh, young, um, you know, these young children off on the street, you know, who are, you know, um, selling sex for survival, you know, obviously it's like, well, they're not going to their parents because they either ran away or they're just saying, or their parents don't want anything to do with them. But so they take them into foster care, you know, and then 
then it's a cycle then they'll run away from foster care and be out on the street you know so there's a lot of crossover there and I actually I go more into in the book but uh that was the next phase if I didn't um if I my mother didn't die and if I didn't overdose and the authorities didn't get involved that was the next step for me I would have been human trafficked Mm -hmm. and and you know just like you said just um uh, the majority of human trafficking victims in the United States are plucked out of the foster care yes. system. They're vulnerable. For that They're vulnerable. They don't They're have vulnerable. someone really watching out for them. Isn't that crazy that, you know, as, as soon as you hear that word human trafficking, I think most people think third world countries. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it's very prevalent. Um, especially in LA and San Diego, LA, mm-hmm. San Diego. Um, and from what I understand, too, LA is one of the capitals of human trafficking in the Makes United States. Makes sense. They have the most foster kids. There yeah. you go. There you go. Um, and also, I think something like 90% of the incarceration rate is attributed to former foster right. kids. And it goes back to what you said earlier. You know, I went to juvenile hall. I didn't do anything. It's not that foster kids are bad. It's that it's the lack of opportunity. It's the lack of love. It's the lack of care that they experience through the system. And now they're independent on their own as an adult and there's no support system. What are they supposed to do? Right. It's, you, it's like, in addition to all this trauma, we're expected to raise our own selves. Like every successful person that I know to this day, even if there's a single parent, that, that's more than I had, you know, I mean, every single person that I know who are su- who's successful as an adult, they had parents or one parent or that adult in their life. You know, um, it's mm-hmm. very, very rare to not have that and make it on the other side. Uh, no, I 100% mm-hmm. agree with you. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about Warren Buffett and that uh, uh, he had very supportive parents. And after college, he wanted to just get involved in investing in the stock market and whatnot. And his parents let him live at home yeah. while he played around with yeah. all that. And when you have that kind of support, it, it really sets you up for success. And I see it just in colleagues that I know of and great parents that they're truly dedicated to the well-being of their children. And I see how successful, well-rounded and healthy human beings they become. And so that foundation is so important. And a lot of kids in foster care don't get that. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. They don't, they never got a fair hand. And, um, you know, it, it, we just really need to change the system. We need to create better opportunities. And like you said, family reunification um, and, and supporting the transition aged youth. And, um, and, and Georgette and I were part of a nonprofit called Angel's Nest. I've recently resigned just to put more focus on Sexy Boss Babe. Georgette's still on the board of directors there. Do you want to share a little bit? Sure. About but I want to answer what, like, I'm, I'm assuming the listener is like, God, well, what, what can be done about this? Well, I just want to say that Arzo, mm-hmm. you're doing it right now by giving me a voice on your platform. There needs to definitely be like awareness raising. And you're doing that with not only your podcast, but with your documentary. So I have to commend you and thank you for that. Um, well, absolutely. Thank you. It's, it's obviously, you know, you know me, so you know how passionate <laughs> yeah. I am about this. And, you know, when it comes to kids, it's just, it's, you know, I, I just, it pains my heart so deeply to know that any kid is going through suffering. And if we can fix that suffering in some way, we have to do it. And again, I, I bring it back, you know, with my brand as women, I'm really trying to create a community of women that cares about this because there's so many women out there that are intelligent, hardworking, smart. And I 
keep finding that a lot of women feel a sense of emptiness and they want to be part of something greater. And this is what I want people to know. This is a great cause and it's local. You don't have to go to Africa. This is here. It's local. It's in your county, no matter where you are in the United States, there are kids in foster care. There's something that you can do as, as a woman to be there and to give back. And thank you so much for, um, again, just for being you being amazing and just, uh, you know, giving me space to really, you know, educate others, um, and inform others about this cause. So, uh, well, like you said earlier, uh, we're both, we were both, um, part of a nonprofit in LA. It's called Angel's Nest and, um, it's called Angel's Nest TLP, which stands for Transitional Living Program, which provides housing, food, and life skill training for education bound former foster youth from LA County ages 18 to 24. That's very important education bound because less than 3% nationally, um, former foster youth will ever get a college degree. I'm like, I'm happy and lucky to say that um, I'm the less than 3%. I have a master's, but I'm extremely rare. So um, I'm so proud to be part of Angel's Nest. And um, currently we're undergoing some major changes. One of them is our website. So once everything lands and all our transitions go through, I would be happy to come back and talk more in depth about our program. Excellent. That sounds really good. And um, just in general, like Georgia said, it's a transitional youth program. Um, and Angels Nest has has created a lot of opportunities and support. And it's one of the only few organizations in LA that focuses on that transition aged group. Um, so yes, we'll we'll definitely touch base again uh, and 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 find out what Angels Nest will be up to soon. Um, and then uh, anything else you wanted to share? I know, Georgia, you do some speaking engagements and you travel the country. And um, uh, I, there's something you wanted to share about your experience. Yeah, so um, <laughs> thank you for that. So I'm actually um, going to, starting January 1st, I'm going to have my books available, which I have Foster Girl, a memoir. Um, I encourage everybody, if you want to read it, wait until December 1st because uh, the newest version will be out by then. And I include some resources at the back of the, you know, ways for people to help if they want to, no matter where they live. So uh, December 1st, the new edition of Foster Girl and Memoir will be out. So what I want to do starting next year is I want to invite the audience on my process of trying to tell my story. Um, it's a very hard story to tell, but it what it's not as hard as as um, actually putting it out there. Writing it was one thing; I actually enjoyed it. But the real work I feel is like <laughs> ahead of me, which is uh, <laughs> me going out there, being very vulnerable, and just like here's my story, here's my book. And you would think that nonprofits and you know colleges would you know, in churches and just anything that has to do with foster care, you would think they would just, you know, welcome me with open arms and like, come in and tell us your story and give us feedback and what's your advice on how to improve things. No, that has not been my experience. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier too. And I said, I wasn't going to say anything, but the way that you just described it, it's the same for me. It's like, (laughs) You know, everyone thinks that, oh, my God, coming up with this beauty product and doing this and the packaging, it was so hard and blah, blah. And I tell people that wasn't actually the hard part. This is the hard part. It's getting people to notice it, the awareness yes. and distribution. 
It's the hardest. It is so hard. Oh my God. And so, um, I feel though that, uh, thank God I have a lot of moxie. I have resilience, but it's very hard. I mean, I've given up. There was like two year period after I wrote my book, I didn't do any marketing. I didn't put it out there at all. If you had called me during that period, I probably would have turned you down. I just was so depressed, you know? And, uh, but no, um, but now I have a Instagram, very paltry, neglected Instagram account called Foster Girl Talks. But what I'm going to start doing is really bringing the audience in that journey. Okay, so I have this book and I have a story to tell. Now watch me tell it or at least try to tell it. And I am going to just, you know, go into one building after another after another and just do like more little videos, um, little vlog. And just, uh, you know, here I am. I want to give back and I want to educate those who are, you know, in the system and, you know, give feedback and, you know, to those who are working with this population. And I want to inspire the upcoming generation of youth like, hey, I've been there and here's what I wish I'd known at your age and here's how to better prepare for, you know, adulthood. And so I'm going to do that all I can to go out there. And, uh, but I really think it's important this time to have the, an audience watch me stumble <laughs> and uh, trip mm-hmm. and, and try to tell this story. And again, you would think, I mean, I thought like, okay, I just need to write the book. And then once I write it, then people are just going to want to read it <laughs> and want to hear from right. me. No. And nope. I, so and much I, work. it's so much work. And I think some people think like, oh, I'm going to be like finger in their face, like calling them out. You did this, you did that system. It's really not about that at all. If any anger I have, it's more towards my family that put me in that position in the first place. That's where my real anger is at. Um, am I a cheerleader for the system? No, but it's a system, you know, there are, it's cold, mm-hmm. but there are warm people in it. And I feel, mm-hmm. I feel it's important to share not only what doesn't work, but what did work. I had an amazing mm-hmm. probation officer, you know, like, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a complicated story. It's not so black and white, mm-hmm. uh, but, mm-hmm. and I, that's the part that really is just tripping me up now is like, I just thought it'd be a lot easier to go out there and share my book and story. And I'm okay once I'm at the podium, but I need a podium. <laughs> right. And, right. Uh, I'm not getting the podiums. I'm not getting the request. <laughs> I have to crawl and scrape and punch and fight to get that opportunity. And that is astounding to me because I would think like, you know, if I was on the other side, I would want to hear from, you know, former foster youth who has a story who even wrote a book about it. There's so few of us who's done that you would think, but no, it is. And it's, and it's, but that's the thing. That's what separates the, the doers mm-hmm. and the successors or not the successors, but the people that find that true success it's it's that grit and it's the not giving up and I know that you have the grit and you're not going to give up and um, I see a lot of great things coming up for you Georgia and uh, I'm excited about your new book that just came out um, or that's coming out uh, CoCore so where can people purchase your book okay so they can go to Amazon um, but again please wait till December 1st um, but uh, they can go to amazon.com just type in foster girl and memoir or they can go to Barnes and Noble com. It's also available on Walmart website. I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, Amazon's pretty, like the best. Um, or even better yet, if you guys know organizations that would love to have me, I would 
bring my books to the event and sign them, autograph them. And um, I give discounts to nonprofits. So I know they're always on a budget. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And and I'm definitely a testament to how incredible her book is. It's it's very well written. And one of the things that I really liked about her book um, is how she described it, how it's it walks you through it in first person. And so you get to experience it. You are the foster yes. girl. You are experiencing it yourself. And when you experience something like that, it's hard to turn away and pretend you didn't know about this information. And I, so. I thank you for the, and I just want to add that too, that although it's depressing and shocking, I think it's also kind of funny, you know, like I, I, I am it also, <laughs> I'm pretty mouthy. I mean, I talk back. I used to be such a quiet bookworm, but then after you get, you know, poked enough, you, you fight back. And so you see that voice emerging as well. So it's very coming of age. It is. I, I, I like that it is coming of age. Um, and, and, uh, and, and there are, you know, she makes these little funny jokes and stuff and you, you, you kind of get to be in her mind yes. and her thoughts and, you know, she's got those cute little thoughts that a teenager <laughs> might have. So it's a good, it, you know, it's a good little, you know, weaving in um, to those really harder stories. So um, definitely check that out. And um, Georgette, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I really think this is going to be um, a really, eye-opening um episode for our listeners so thank you so much thank you so much arzo for having me you're the ultimate sexy boss babe and i'm so proud to know you (laughs) well you're you are my other sexy boss babe so thank you um so keep an eye out for georgette everybody and as always uh thank you for your loyalty and listening to our podcast and please make sure to follow us on our uh, social media. Um, our handle is at the sexy boss babe for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our website is www.sexybossbabe.com. And uh, we'll be posting about the upcoming documentary as well, Breaking the Cycle. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, other than that, stay tuned for our next uh, podcast. So thanks, everyone. Bye bye. <laughs>